last week, we began this conversation on our inner world, on what is going on inside of us. And we, we started this conversation with the understanding that the reason our inner world is important is because what is inside of us will always find its way out of us. What is inside of us will always find its way into our daily lives. And this, by the way, is the conversation that Jesus was always having, was the conversation of what is going on inside. He would often be asked a question about an external circumstance, about an external reality, and his answer would push the question deeper. His answer would go to an internal reality. And this is why when Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees at one point, in one of his kind of harshest moments, some of the hardest words that are spoken by Jesus in the Bible are to these religious leaders who Jesus says are hypocrites because they wash the outside of the cup. They make themselves look good on the outside, but the inside is filthy. The inside is dirty. He goes on to call them whitewashed tombs. In other words, saying you are essentially a nice looking casket, but what is inside of you is still dead. Jesus is the one who says that it's man that looks at the outward image, but God looks at the heart. He's constantly pushing the question to what is going on inside of us. What's going on in our inner world? Kristen and I have this thing that every once in a while we like to do for dinner, and it's not something we do often. It's not something we do regularly, but when the circumstances are just right, we like to do what we call, because we like to name everything, we like to do what we call late night steak night. And late night steak night is exactly what it sounds like. It's where Kristen and I uh, eat steak late at night. But the reason it's so enjoyable is because this is something that we do after we put the children to bed, and it's, it's always a situation where kind of circumstances make this our best and most exciting option. And so this week on Friday, we had some family in town, and we ended up doing a really late kind of brunch, lunch. We ate a really big meal, and so afternoon rolled around, and I wasn't really hungry, and then late afternoon rolled around, and I had like a little snack, but I still wasn't super hungry, and so we ended up feeding the girls and we put them to bed and I could just feel it. It was a late night steak night night. You can feel it when you've done it. We've been doing this for years. You can feel the circumstances are all just right and you just know this is going to be one of those nights. So I didn't even mention it to Kristen. I just knew like in a little bit I'm going to go and I'm going to be like, you know what tonight is? And she's going to be like, oh yeah, it's late night steak night. But instead at about 8.30 when I was feeling the late night steak night, it's, it's usually late, um, I went out to Kristen and I said, hey, uh, what do you want to do for dinner? And she said, oh, I ate a little bit ago. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, when Olivia, she wanted uh, an egg earlier when I made her an egg, I ate an egg, so I already ate. And I was crushed. I, I felt betrayed. I felt like, even though we hadn't talked about it, I just, I felt like we knew we were on the same page that this was a late night steak night night. So now I had a decision to make of whether I was going to late night steak night alone or just scavenge through whatever we had at the house. We had, had a busy week. We didn't have a lot of groceries. And so what I ended up doing was what I sometimes end up doing if I'm eating alone late at night. I made myself a bowl of ramen noodles and it was not the same as late night steak night. 
I sat there and I ate the bowl of ramen noodles and I, I, was, I, I had finished it and I was sitting on the couch and I was watching TV and I was just sitting there thinking like 20 minutes ago, I thought that I was going to be dining on a delicious steak right now. By the way, we don't cook these steaks. Don't, don't be crazy. We go, you know, we get them from somewhere. And so I, I was thinking I was going to be dining on a delicious steak and now I've just ingested basically an entire bowl of sodium. And I wasn't feeling great about it. And in that moment, I, I was full, but I was not satisfied. Like my, my hunger was taken care of, but I was not in that moment satisfied. And I knew exactly why I was not satisfied. I had an expectation of something really great that was going to happen and something really mediocre ended up and happened. But there's been other times in my life where there is really no reason that I should not be satisfied. And yet I am unsatisfied. Have you ever had those moments in your life where there's nothing really wrong, everything is fine in your life, your job is good, your family is good, your kids are good, your house is good, everything seems to be fine, but there's just something within you that is unsatisfied. There is something within you that just seems to desire more, to want more, to strive for more. You feel unsatisfied. And it's interesting to feel unsatisfied in this day and age because we live in a time where for the most part, you can pretty quickly satisfy whatever desire you're having. You can pretty quickly just get whatever it is you are desiring. You do not even have to leave your house to get groceries or food. You can have it delivered straight to you. You can quickly satisfy your needs. And yet so often we find ourselves unsatisfied. And what I've come to believe is that it is because often we actually pacify our desires rather than satisfying our desires. We, we, we pacify our desires rather than satisfying them. And when you think about the word pacify, if you're like me, you think of a child and a pacifier. And what a pacifier does is a pacifier gives a child the sensation that they are eating without ever actually receiving any nutrients. A pacifier is designed to make a child content. It's not desired to make them full. And I think so often we turn to things that pacify our desires rather than actually satisfying our desires. And this is why you can live in a time where you should be satisfied. You have all of the things that should satisfy you, but you are not satisfied. In all throughout history, there have been places that people gather, that people get together, that kind of go beyond the lines of socioeconomic status and beyond the lines of position. There are places that, that, are, generally, that are generally fueled by a need. I think about like a gas station. Like when you see someone at a gas station, there is not an assumption that this person is wealthy. Actually, maybe now there is an assumption that they are wealthy. But generally speaking, there is not an assumption that people are wealthy. Everybody has to go to a gas station. Whether you drive a hand-me-down car that will barely start for you in the morning or you drive a nice luxury SUV, you are all showing up at the gas station getting the same gas. And the gas station is the kind of place that you will show up not looking your best because you know you just need gas. I can't tell you how many times I have been on a road trip and I have been in line and I wanted to let the people know, like, this is not what I even really look like. This is not what my family looks like. This is not, what, this is not how my children dress. This is not how we travel. This is just, you're, you've caught us at an interesting time at this moment, but this is not how we look. But historically, a place that people would always gather, a place that they would come together back in the Middle East before technology brought us running water, people gathered around wells. 
Cities were built around wells because of the necessity of water. And if a well dried up, entire cities, entire families would completely relocate. They, they would abandon entire cities that they had constructed because now all that they had built was no longer of any value because there was no water. And so you would often find people around a well at similar times, but these were not always similar people because everybody needed water. If you were wealthy, you needed water. If you were poor, you needed water. And so wells became this, this gathering place. And so often these gathering places meet a need. This is why we meet at the gas station. This is why so many people meet on social media because there is this innate need to connect with other people. And at this time, the need for water, what was greater than the need to be on the same level with someone was greater than not wanting to associate with certain people. And I want to look at a story that took place at a well. I'm going to begin in the book of John chapter 4, verse 1, and I'm going to read a pretty lengthy portion of scripture, and then we'll talk about it. It says, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Then the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, there's a couple of interesting things already in this story. It begins by saying that Jesus had to go to Samaria, that, that Jesus had to go to Samaria. But the word that's used there for had to go is an important word because everywhere else in Scripture, it actually, it, it actually means that there was a divine necessity to go not a natural necessity. Like this is the same word that is used when Jesus says he must be lifted up on the cross. It's the same word that is used when, when the Bible says that God, I must increase and, or I must decrease and God must increase. It, it's this sense of a divine necessity to go somewhere because if you look at a map geographically, the shortest route to where Jesus was going did in fact pass through this area. But culturally, it was an area that other Jews would have completely intentionally avoided. 
They did not go through Samaria because at this time, Samaria were, were, the Samarians were essentially considered half-breeds. They, they had been intermarried in such a way that at this time was not culturally accepted. And so to pass through Samaria, to, to risk interacting with a Samaritan, would perhaps even make you as a Jew unclean. And so to kind of stay away from this whole situation, usually good Jewish people would go around Samaria. But the Bible says that Jesus Jesus had to go to Samaria, that he had to go there. And so the reason that he had to go to Samaria was not geographical, it was spiritual. And it says that Jesus goes to the well and that he waits at the well. Now, this is not what you do at a well. It says that Jesus sat down and he waited at the well, again, telling us that the reason Jesus was going to this place was much deeper than a reason you would go to Samaria. It was much deeper than the reason that you would go to a well because he's waiting at the well. And he, he runs into this Samaritan woman who it says is coming to the well around the sixth hour. This would have been the middle of the day. This would not have been a time that you came to a well. Most people come to the well early in the morning or late in the evening so that they can avoid the, the harsh heat of the day. And yet she's making this trip alone to the well in the middle of the day. And she meets Jesus and, and we wonder why is she heading to this well in the middle of the day? And we pick up the story Right at verse 15, where the woman says, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, this woman is essentially at this moment deflecting. Jesus is giving some insight into what her story is. And instead of engaging that conversation, she says, oh, I can see that you are a prophet. So let's have another conversation because I don't really want to talk about what you've just brought up. And Jesus entertains the new conversation and says, he declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming when he comes. He will explain everything. Then Jesus declared, I who speak am he. I who speak am he. So now we know why this woman is heading to the well in the middle of the day. The Bible tells us that she had five husbands and she is now with someone who is not her husband. See, the well would have been a social place, a place that women would have walked together to fetch their water. And then as they each drew water, they would have had conversations. But see, this woman does not want to be a part of the conversation because she is more than likely often the subject of the conversations. We, we realize that this woman is an outcast among outcasts. 
She is already a Samaritan. She is already a woman. She already would have been considered an outcast. But even in her own people group, she is even considered an outcast. So she avoids the well at the time where other, people's might, uh, other people might be at the well. Have you, have you ever avoided a place, but you're actually avoiding a person? Like, like you, you, you come up with some reason why you don't go to a certain place, and the real reason is you don't want to see a certain person. Like, you say that you don't go to that Starbucks because they always get your order wrong when you really know that it's because that barista is the guy you never called back the one time you hung out because it was so awkward. And this is what she is doing. She is avoiding the place where the people she doesn't want to see hang out. She is avoiding the well because she is really avoiding the people who are at the well. But what she is doing by avoiding the well is actually making her life significantly more difficult. She is traveling alone in the heat of the day. She is traveling alone when the sun is at its hottest. What we know about this woman is that she would rather face the sun alone than face her shame with people. That, that she is, is willing to travel alone. She is willing to travel in the heat as long as it means she doesn't have to face her shame. See, shame will send you into isolation and cause you to make life harder on yourself than you need to. Like It will actually cause you to choose the harder road. It will cause you to choose the harder road of isolation. And shame is, is such a destructive emotion. It's such a destructive sensation because shame is experienced in your life the same, whether you are ashamed of actions you have taken or, or you are ashamed of actions that have been made toward you. You, you. you feel shame the same way if you have acted shamefully or someone acts shamefully towards you. You are still the one who carries it. You are still the one who feels that you need to isolate. You are still the one that feels you deserve for life to be harder than you. And, and there's something interesting about this woman's story because for, for such a long time, she, she has been portrayed as essentially a sleazy woman a woman who has had five husbands. She now has a sixth who is not even her husband. I cannot count for you the amount of times that I have heard this woman berated as a woman who just kind of goes from man to man and bed to bed. But there is something interesting that we don't seem to take into account when we think about this woman's story. See, this woman, the Bible tells us, has been divorced five times. And she also would have been a, a Jewish woman. And the problem with that is that at this day and age, in this culture, a Jewish woman could not initiate divorce. A Jewish woman could not one day choose to leave her husband. A, a Jewish woman could not decide that the relationship was no longer good for her and just leave her husband. By Jewish law, at this time, the man had to initiate the divorce. And it's actually even written in ancient Jewish law that a man can divorce his wife because he doesn't like her cooking. Easy on the laughs. 
And so this woman is divorced five times. She's now with a man who is the sixth man in her life, but is not her husband. This is not a woman who has abandoned five relationships. This is a woman who has been rejected five times. This is a woman who has been rejected five times, and now she is with a man who will not even give her the dignity of accepting her. He has pre-rejected her. And it's amazing how when you have been rejected enough, you will still pursue or stay in a relationship that you know you are not accepted in in order to at least not feel alone. And see, this woman has been taken into this man's life, but he has accepted the warnings of five men who have gone before him because, see, at this time, for a man to divorce a woman, it was a public hearing. It was a public understanding. Her people would have known that she had been divorced five times, and it's essentially a man saying, she is not worth it. She's not worth it. We so often read this story as though she is a woman who is traveling alone and facing these harsh, con- harsh conditions, and she is in some ways experiencing the consequences of her decisions, and yet the truth is that what she is experiencing is a life of rejection. She is experiencing a life of rejection, and, and she stays with this new man because at least she doesn't feel alone. But what I find so interesting in this moment is that Jesus has gone to the well and he has waited for her. He has waited for her at the well. That that he came to her. That in her time of greatest need, Jesus met her in her time of need at her place of need. I think so often we think that we have to be beyond our hurt and beyond our rejection before we can actually encounter Jesus. That we have to get to a certain place before we can even encounter Jesus. But what we find in the story of the woman at the well is that Jesus will come to our place to encounter us. That you don't have to come to his place to encounter him. He will come to you to encounter you and that he will encounter you while you are still carrying all your hurt, that you are still carrying all of your rejection, that he will come to you. I also find it interesting that in this encounter, Jesus actually reveals who she is before he reveals who he is. He tells her, about her past before he tells her who he is. And I think this is significant because I think so often we come to God, we come to God's word, we come to encounters with God, and and we say things like, God, reveal yourself to me. And it's not that that is a bad prayer, but it is interesting how often when we cry out for God to reveal himself to us, he actually chooses to reveal who we are. And the reason he chooses to reveal who we are it is because if you have an understanding that Jesus actually knows who you are, then who he is will be more significant in your life. Because see, if he had led with the fact that he was the Messiah, if he had led with who he was, this woman would have probably either thought one of two things. Either this can't be true that he is the Messiah, because if it was, then he would know who he was talking to, and he would not talk to me. Or she would assume that that he does not know who she is, that he would, she would assume that he is about to reject her just like everyone else has rejected her when he finds out who she is. And so Jesus leads with telling her her story and then revealing that he is the Messiah. 
Can, can you imagine realizing that Jesus knows exactly who you are, that Jesus knows exactly your situation, that Jesus knows exactly the life that you are living in, and he still chooses to accept you despite who he is, because he already knows who she is. And see, what, what I think is significant about this encounter at the well is that Jesus chooses to meet the internal need that this woman has. See, this woman has been rejected time and time again. She has been rejected time and time again. Her desire is to be known. Her desire is for someone to see her. And Jesus shows up on the scene and says, I know everything about you and I still accept you. I still take you for who you are. And she says, give me this water so that I don't have to keep coming back here. See, she's, she's confused when she first meets Jesus because he's at a well with no bucket. And if you were a woman alone heading to a well, it might be concerning that there was a man at the well with no tool to actually get water from the well. And so she says, sir, you have no bucket to draw from. Like, how are you going to get water? And then Jesus reveals to her that he, in fact, does not need a bucket to draw water because he has a source of water, that he is the living water that she has been seeking, that she is what he has been looking for. And what I think is significant about this conversation is Jesus was kind of notorious for having conversations that weren't actually about what he was talking about. Like Jesus would be talking about being the bread and being the wine and his disciples would be seeing bread and wine, but he was talking about a much deeper internal reality. And the same thing is happening in this moment as Jesus talks about being the water of life. He tells her, you do not have to return to this place anymore to get water. And what he's really saying to her is you do not have to return to the things where you keep trying to find your value. You do not have to keep returning to the things that have been pacifying your desire. You do not have to return to the things that have been pacifying your needs because I can give you an internal spring that will satisfy all that you have ever wanted. This lady has been pacifying her needs in relationship after relationship, trying again and again. And Jesus says, you no longer have to pacify your relationship. You can satisfy your relationship. The story goes on and says in verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. See, once again, I find this interesting that she goes to her entire village and she says, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Because if you had an extremely shameful past, if you had a past that you were not very excited about, if you had a past that was an embarrassment among your community, I think this is a weird thing to run and tell everybody. Come and see the man who has told me everything I ever did, which you all also know. You all also know everything I ever did, and now this man knows everything I ever did, but he told me everything I ever did. See, I think what is actually happening in this moment is this woman is going to her village, and she's saying, come and see a man who finally knows me for who I am. 
Come and see a man who finally knows everything about me and has still chosen to accept me. Come and see a man who knows my story and he still chooses to accept me right where I am. In verse 39, it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and they stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We have now heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. We have heard, and we know. See, when when God does a work in your life, it is not just for you to hear and know. It is for you to tell others so that they can hear and know. But when God meets you where you are, it is not just for you to know. It is not just for you to experience. It is for you to go and tell so that others can see and know. See, this woman experiences the love of Jesus. She tells others, and then they experience the love of Jesus. But this woman was doing what, what we so often do. She was, she was trying to fulfill an internal need. She was trying to satisfy an internal need with external circumstances. She, she was trying to fill her internal need with an external source. She had been pacifying her desire for years. And the truth is that we all have wells that we run to to pacify our needs. We all have wells that we draw from to pacify our needs. And that's the question I would have for you today is, when you are feeling unsatisfied, what is the well that you run to? What is the well that you run to? What is the external source that you are running to? See, the good news is that you don't have to keep coming back. That was the good news that Jesus delivered to this woman. See, he, he said, I am the Messiah, but I am almost certain that when she left, the words that were ringing in her heart were, you don't have to keep coming back. You don't have to keep returning to external sources uh, to, to fill your internal need. You can be satisfied. You don't have to travel in isolation. You don't have to travel in shame because you have met a man who knows you exactly as you are. See, Jesus knew her shortcomings. He knew her shame. He knew her situation. And he, he chose to come and meet her where she was anyway. See, I think there's some of you here today that you think that your situation is a barrier to meeting with Jesus, but Jesus knows your situation. You think your shame is a barrier to meeting with Jesus, but Jesus knows your shame. You think that you have to get to a certain place before you can meet with Jesus, but Jesus says he will come and meet you right where you are. See, I believe in what we do as a church. I believe in the gathering of believers, the the gathering of people who follow Jesus, but I'm so grateful that Jesus meets people where they are. I'm so grateful that, that we have the privilege to bring people to this place and tell them about Jesus, but I'm also grateful that he will meet them where they are, that they don't have to get over their hurt, that they don't have to get over their shame, that they don't have to get over their shortcomings before Jesus chooses to show up where they are and meet them in their time of need, because that is what he does in this moment with this woman. And it's interesting that their conversation turns to worship. Because ultimately, this whole 
moment in Scripture is about an encounter with Jesus. And he speaks about worship, and he, he gives her a, a word about who she is. But when he talks about worship, the, the word he uses for worship in this moment it is a word that would literally be translated as like intimate submission, as like intimate submission in worship. And this is a woman who has been intimately submitting in relationships over and over and over. And it literally means to, to turn toward, to move toward. And what Jesus is saying is if you will quit moving towards these external sources of satisfaction and you will move towards me, I will be a source of your satisfaction. See, she was coming to a well and Jesus says, I will give you a source. I will give you a source of living light, of living water within you, that you no longer have to come back to this place, that you can have satisfaction that comes from within. And can I just tell you this morning, if you are caught in the trap of returning to the same places to pacify your need to be satisfied, you can be truly satisfied by the one who truly knows you. You can be truly satisfied by the one who knows you completely. You can be truly satisfied by the one who knows your circumstance and knows your situation and still chooses to love you right where you are. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?